If you want to go with me, let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to talk about a well-known story, but I pray you won't tune me out. I pray you'll really hear what the Lord has to say. He woke me up at 3.55 to give me this message. So if that means anything, just please listen. Um, while, while I was on that trip, I knew I was going to be preaching and I was just thinking to the Lord. I'd been so busy moving house and all of these things going on that I was like, okay, God, mm, it's getting closer. I really need to hear your voice. And I had a fitful sleep, fitful sleep, and I woke up and I just knew I needed to get up. And I was like, oh, Lord, please, I really... I don't want to be up right now. This is an ungodly hour. <laughs> but he turned it into a very godly hour and a very wonderful thing. And I was just so thankful. I want to, I want to say that God wants you to minister. He wants you to minister. A lot of times we can feel held back and we can actually hold ourselves back. I'm not smart enough. I don't know apologetics enough. When this Mormon comes to talk to me, I don't know enough. And maybe there's a realm in there where God will lead you to learn more about these things. But sometimes they can be traps. Sometimes they can be like chains that hold you back from doing anything for Jesus. Because we say, I, 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 me, 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 me. Oh, I just can't love people like you do, Jesus. And I can't serve people like you do. When really, what that can honestly be is a sin of unbelief. It can be the sin of unbelief. Or it could just be self-worship, if I could put it that way, in the sense of this is highly inconvenient. And by me saying I really can't, I'm really saying I don't want to. This is just a bit hard. It's early in the morning. I really don't feel like studying to get a message. I don't really feel like doing that. I don't really feel like going to help this person unload their trailer on a Friday night and move heavy stuff like Phil Kennedy did for me, uh, who's my neighbor now. But he did it anyway. Or other neighbors who came out and helped me dig up these disgusting rooted things on the side of my house and we had to both go at it like we're spearing it to death and helping me to pull it out and get it done it's not convenient but they still did this they still did this they didn't say ah it's not convenient they they went ahead and did it i liken it to whenever our first child ezra was born um gave my wife gave birth at the birth center in baton rouge it was a bit it was a bit hard, not because of anything they did at all. They were great, but it was just the way he kind of got stuck. And and then we were just kind of tra- traumatized to be really just by the whole thing. It was very awful. But then there's this little squish named Ezra, and he's in his car seat. And all I can think is, you people are insane. You're about to send me home with this baby. Like, I, I just, I don't know what I thought it would be like to have a baby and walk home with it. But you're sitting at this baby, and it's completely helpless. And I'm like, I'm completely helpless. I can't take care of you. But in that moment, I have a choice. I have a choice, right? Here's this little baby. I can't take care of you. Well, if I don't, he'll die. I have to. He's my responsibility. So I picked him up, put him in, drove 25 miles an hour down airline highway to go to Gonzalez to go home. And then you're waking up in hot sweats every time they they cry. But you learn and you grow and you begin to develop and you begin to realize this is my role. This is what I'm called to do. I am your father. I am called to father you. And then you face new challenges and disciplining. And you're like, God, I can't do this. I discipline too hard. I don't discipline hard enough. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. You know, this person says this, this person suggests this. I can't do this. But then you come to a place where God says, it's not a question of if you can. No, you cannot. But I want you to. I want you to. And this is where I've preached my whole message in a nutshell, and that's okay. Um, But go with me to Mark chapter 6 because 
It's just like that. It's just like that. Mark chapter 6 verse 30. It says the apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus had sent out his 12 apostles. He had empowered them to cast out devils, to preach and to heal in his name. And my goodness, they had done it with flying colors. Demons came out. Bodies were raised up. They were made whole. Sickness was taken away. They had preached the kingdom of God is here. This is the one to look to. This is the one to trust in. This is the one who was prophesied. He is the one we should look to. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and enter in this way. So they're saying these things and they're so excited, but they're also very tired. Because ministry can be really exciting, but it's also very tiring. You woke up really early to study. And then you came and you gave out. And then you go home and then you pass out. Uh, And it's always like that, whether you're going to do uh, an outreach, whether you're going to be doing it at, um, let's say, the you're going to show up at 4 or 5 a.m. to to, to fry those delicious turkeys. And they're going to bless a lot of people on Thanksgiving. That is so inconvenient. That is so inconvenient. I'm supposed to be giving thanks today. But all I'm doing is dropping birds into hot grease to give to other people to enjoy. But there's something, there's a great joy that comes in. But there's also this emotional drain that can come through and a physical drain that happens. And so you're tired and you want to take a rest. And it's okay to rest. Remember, God gave the Sabbath for man to rest. It was a pattern for him to rest. So the apostles are coming back and they're telling Jesus, oh, and this whoa, this one demon, man, he was foaming at the mouth and flip-flopping, but he came out in your name. And yeah, well, this dude, you should have seen the ingrown toenail he had for 10 years and it was healed. And now he's walking around, you know. I don't know how they were comparing their stories. But then Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Come away. Come away. Come away from the testimonies. Come away from the spiritual high. Come away from from just really actually being used by God in that moment. It's time to step away from that. It's time to recharge. It's time to rest. Come away to a desolate place. King James may say a desert place. Uh, but another version just says it's basically just a place where no one else is. It's to be alone. It's to be alone. It says there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure even to eat. So even though they had ministered like in this little bubble here in this place doing these things, when they came out of it, the the needs were endless. The sea of humanity, of broken humanity that needs Jesus, that needs healing, that needs demons to be cast out. I mean, my goodness, that, that is today as well. But they had no leisure even to eat. And if you and I are drawn to needs, we will burn out. Burn out because it said that Jesus said come and rest a while many were coming going They had no leisure even to eat. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming They're still coming and if we don't hear rightly we can just serve until we're no good for anybody No good for Jesus. No good for our wives our children. No good for ourselves We can just be burnt out and then that's where the enemy would love to get us. That's one trap yeah, I've said it before. There are ditches everywhere and Satan doesn't care which one you fall into as long as you fall into one. Verse 32 says they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They've got to get in a boat. They've got to leave this group of people behind just so that they can actually get away. You know, oh, I, 
I can only imagine the nights where Pastor Lee's like, I've just got to get in my truck and I've just got to drive off the parking lot because there's need after need after need after need. And I could be here until the morning. I could be here in the morning hearing about everything and God, you know, they have the needs and I want to minister to the needs. I've just got to get away with you. I've just got to get rest. I've just got to get away. And so they get away into that boat and they go by themselves. But guess what? People saw them. People saw them. You're not getting away that fast. You're not going to bring Jesus with you and take away what I, what I need. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus ordained and said, go rest. Okay, Jesus, we will obey you. People see them and they're watching them and they're going ahead and they're going to make it to the other side and they're waiting there to have their needs met on the other side of that body of water all the people from the towns got there ahead of them so now there's this massive crowd they're emotionally exhausted they're weary Jesus says go rest how can I rest there are all these people around me what do you do how do you get away from this it says when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them We don't need compassion from a human perspective. We really need Jesus' compassion. We really, we, I desperately need to have compassion on people because from Him, because if it's based on me, then at some point I'm gonna draw a line and one person's not gonna receive my compassion because I'm too tired. You, you don't fit X, Y, and Z from me. And I think you got there yourself. And people have tried to reach out to you a hundred times. And now I'm going to let you go because, well, you've chosen your own way. You know, just, just, you know, those are consequences. I hope you repent. But, but we need the compassion of Jesus. We need the compassion of Jesus. We need to hear his voice. We need to know his will, not just generally. That all people would be saved. But maybe there's that really corrupt coworker. Maybe there's that one that's really harsh and mean. Or they live that lifestyle that you think is so ungodly. And you have zero compassion on them. Because the way I was raised and the way you are are not compatible. I, oh, you just, I don't, I don't like you. I think you're dirty. I know I'm supposed to love all people and I love all people. I just don't like your group of people, whoever that is. Whether they're even Pharisees. And maybe you would say, I have no compassion for a religious Pharisee. Well, Jesus has compassion for them. Even if they're cruel and hard and mean to you, Jesus never stopped having compassion on them. Because we can even say, oh, psh, you Pharisaical hypocrite, may your car roll into the ditch, you know? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus had compassion on all these people, even though they were troubling his disciples, even though they were actually getting in the way of a clear command that Jesus had made, go and rest. Here's a crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering. They were lost. They didn't know what to do. They had false messiahs that had raised up in Israel, guaranteeing freedom, guaranteeing to throw off the Roman powers, these pagans. Get rid of them, throw them out, and people would follow them and have all their hopes and all their expectations to make Israel great again. And then whenever it wasn't made great again, they were scattered, they were alone, they didn't know what to do because the person they thought was going to give them liberation was just a human. Their hope should have been in God rather than a political leader or a military leader, but they didn't do that. And so their hopes were dashed. They were like... Sheep without a shepherd, a shepherd, a good shepherd that would lay their life down for the sheep. 
and say, I'm not just here to give you political freedom. I'm here to bring you spiritual freedom from your spiritual bondage. And we need to hear that right now in America as well. And I need to hear that as well. He had compassion on this group of people that had no direction. Don't you know that Jesus was also tired? He told his disciples to come and rest, but he needed rest too, I'm sure. He's the great servant in John 13, a magnificent chapter. The the disciples are arguing about who's best, and Jesus takes off his jacket, takes all those outer garments out, and you know, he just starts to wash their feet. The greatest among them, their rabbi, the one whom they are supposed to pattern their lives after, and he is washing their horrible, gross feet whenever they're talking about who's best. That's the kind of person he was. And you got to think he was emotionally overloaded as well. He knows what's going on. It says in that chapter, fully knowing where he had come from, where he was going to, and what was who was going to betray him, he takes off the outer garments. He does those things. He knows what's coming is a cross, but yet there are just a few hours between him and mockery and abusing that he should have never had to endure as God himself. And he still said, I'm going to serve you because I have compassion on you and I love you. And though that happens fast forwarding in scripture, it's still that same Jesus, still that same compassionate savior who knows all these things, who had compassion on these people, these sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them a little bit and gave them a sermonette so he could satisfy them and send them home. Is that what your Bible says? How many things did he begin to teach them? Many, many. In the back, does your Bible say many too? Many things, many things, many things, a lot of things. And teaching takes energy. Teaching takes physical energy. He didn't have some magical battery. He was fully God and fully man. The Holy Spirit without measure, but still sweat, blood. That means he still sweat, even when he wasn't sweating blood. He was hungry. He was tired. He did all of that, and yet he still taught them many things. And when it grew late. Oh, Jesus, my goodness, what are you doing? Like, you told us to go rest. We're physically, emotionally, mentally burnt out. And you're going to talk to them at all. You're keeping us with you. You're not letting us go. We're like, we're sitting here and who knows what they're even saying. You know, we can't really say what that is. But you're keeping us until late. You're inconveniencing us, Jesus. Don't you understand that this call to be your disciple and following you, it's really inconvenient to my life right now. It was really fun. It was really exciting when the demons are gnarling and popping out of people. It's really exciting whenever they're, you know, preaching the truth of Jesus and just preaching what they know about the kingdom of God. It's exciting when that happens. But when you step down from the platform and someone begins to tell you how they were molested as a child. And you have to begin to unpack that with them. And you have to begin to say, I'm so sorry. And you have to begin to talk about these things. It's less glamorous. People don't see you. People don't hear the conversation. And then it stretches out from one day to another day to weeks. And now you're walking with this person over time. And no one sees it. It can begin to wear on you. And I just want to be with my kids right now. I want to be with my wife right now. I have all these other duties to do right now. Jesus, following you is not convenient. Jesus, I'm trying to pay attention at work. I'm trying to get this promotion. I'm trying to do these things. I'm just trying to do my job. And it's really inconvenient that I think you actually want me to go tell the gospel or sit down at lunch with this coworker who I don't even really like. They grate against me. 
this is inconvenience. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. Please stop telling me to do these things. But what did Jesus say? If any man or any woman would be my disciple, what would they have to do? Take up the cross, an instrument of death, an instrument of death. You'd have to die, take it up. When those people were heading out of town with a cross, like one preacher said, those people knew they were never coming back, never coming back, never coming back. And so when we said yes to Jesus, we didn't just say yes to, to, to join a church and dress a little bit better and, you know, want, want our marriage to be worked out. Those are all beautiful, wonderful things that occur, but there's also a demand from our life. No, when I walk this way, I'm bringing your hand along with me. Like my children, sometimes I'm wanting to bring some place and they're kicking and screaming and writhing on the ground, you know. But it's like, get up. I'm your father. Come with me. Come with me. And whenever we follow Jesus, it's the same way. For me, I am a very boring person, I think. I, whenever I started coming to Jesus, I got legalistic real quick. Didn't take me long. I got legalistic real quick. I thought people wanting to play frisbee, just hanging out and talking and fellowshipping. I'm going to do the more spiritual thing. I'm going to go back to my room and fast and pray. That's what I did in a little Bible course where I met my wife. And, and I, th- I remember thinking, oh, how carnal these people are. They're going to go do this. Ah, we're here to learn about Jesus. And I'm going to go get in my Bible and, and all these types of things. And I was just so stuck. And so Jesus' hand pulling me might be in that moment. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. I mean, really, if I can wash dirty feet, can't you go out there and throw a Frisbee and build relationships with these people? I wish I would have done that. I see that now looking back. And so to you, even might even be, get out of yourself. Oh, I'm an introvert. I could never do that. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're an ESFJ or blah, 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 blah. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. He doesn't care about your personality type. And he doesn't care like, oh, I've got to take my spiritual gifting test. And it says this, this, and this. Well, the will of God doesn't just mean you have to wait for a spiritual gifting test. Sure, you might be gifted to talk. You might be afraid to talk. But either one doesn't mean that you're going to talk. It matters if he says you're going to talk. So then if God, praise God, if there's a, there's, a, there's a guy in Acts, what's his name? Apollos, who speaks really well, and he does stuff. And it's also praise God whenever Paul, who doesn't speak well, is called to preach by God. Praise God. It's not about what you think you have in your hands. You do it. I should do it. Because Jesus wants us to. It's about him. It's not about us. Jesus began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, it's, it's, it's really, it's really late. Can you please send them home? This is a desolate place. The hour's now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I mean, that's not carnal, right? These people are from those towns. These people are from those villages. Their homes are there. Their places of work are there. And if they don't have anything in the pantry, as it were, they've got family and friends they can ask for there. I mean, this is really practical. Bring your own bagged lunch. You could go home and eat your fried fish over there. But what does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. You feed them. You tired, worn out disciple of Jesus. 
who says, I've given all I think I should give, and where I have drawn my lines on my little box of what Christian service is, or where my personality is, or I'm an introverted extrovert, and all all of that, and these are my lines, and Jesus is saying, you do it. You do it. What I am telling you to do, do it. Do it. And you can't do it in yourself. Because remember, they had just come off the mission field. They had just gone out. If I'm not mistaken, this is the same passage where he said, don't bring a staff, don't bring the extra cloak, don't bring a money bag. Give them something to eat from what, Jesus? I I physically don't have the means to give them what they need. I can't because I don't have it. Y'all, they thought he was the Messiah and they forgot that God fed the people of Israel in the wilderness. You're in a desolate place. The people of Israel were in a desolate place. The prophet of God, Moses, said manna would come. Here's a prophet of God. You know, at least at this point, you believe he's the Messiah. Don't you think he could bring down bread from heaven? You memorize these scriptures. You knew them. You were taught them as a child. And yet you're still looking at yourself saying, I don't have the resources to do it. Since when did God not have resources to give to you to do what he called you to do? Since when did God, oh, 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 sorry, Andrew, you're just going to have to go up there and preach alone today. I, I just, I spent it all over here in China with the underground church with the really holy people. I can't be with you. You're nothing. You're in America. You know, it's easy for you. No, no. What is it that God's calling us to do? Even if it's going to your neighbor to bring them cookies, to get to know them, because you hope that one day you can form a relationship or to preach the gospel. Or what if it's going to someone, draw them anywhere you want, who's hurting, and they're not in a group that you you align yourself with. And they have hurt their own lives. And you think that's what you get for your sin. And God is saying, I have compassion on them. Would you go and you minister to them? And he's pulling you even beyond a prejudice that goes much different and deeper than skin color. Because that's not the only type of prejudice we can have. It could even be someone of another denomination. And you think, well, if you believed in healing like I did, you wouldn't have that problem. (laughs) Well, maybe God's telling you to go over there and pray for them. Maybe that, maybe that spouse of theirs or that child of theirs died not because they didn't believe in healing, but who knows? Can you be a shoulder for them to cry on? Can we hear God's voice and not look at ourselves and look at the fact that I don't have it, Jesus? But you said that you would be with me forever. You said you'd invested all power in me. You said you live in me. And I don't know how you're going to do this. I was with a brother this past week as well. And um, he, I was just talking to him, talking about some different things that... Uh, the Lord's doing in my life, and I told him how ill-equipped I felt, and how I can't see what's kind of like in the future. And he said, Andrew, that's okay. As you move forward, God will make things clear. He won't always show you beforehand what is going to happen, but you need to step forward in what you do know. You need to step forward in faith where there is enough light, and when you get there, expect the light to come next. And God is going to show you these things. So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's $40,000 worth of bread. It's eight months wages. 40 grand to feed these people. That's a big 
crowd to make some food for a lot. I mean, sometimes whenever you have people come over to your house or there's a hurricane and you're like, oh yeah, y'all come over. And you're like, man, that grocery bill is going high. I got to trust you, Jesus, even to pay that off. I know I'm doing what you're, you want me to be doing, but man, ministering to these people is costing me some money. Ooh, they didn't pay me back for that five gallons of gas I got them. You know what I mean? During the hurricane, Lord help. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found it, they said five and two fish which is not even really enough for them to eat themselves. We've read it so many times that it doesn't even have meaning to us anymore, but I want you to imagine that God has just told you to stand up in front of all of your coworkers whenever you're leaving your job and to tell them about how you're thankful to Jesus for the job and how you're going to miss them. When it's so much easier to say, yeah, I'm going to miss you guys. It's been a great five years. Bye. Not even just to get up and like preach and hammer and be mean, because honestly, that can be easy and feel really good to the flesh. But, but to actually a nuance, like I'm going to tell you about what Jesus did for my life. And I'm going to tell you how this job was a blessing to me to start it and how it's been wonderful. And he's taught me so much because you're going to feel really embarrassed afterwards. Probably you're not going to get a slap on the back and say, man, that took guts. No, it'll feel awkward for them. Probably. And so I'm not hoping to put anything on you to say, do this. But when God tells you these things, you feel like those guys, when Jesus says, feed these people and do this thing for them. I can't. I don't have the ability. I, ah, what do I do? So he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. He has not multiplied the fish or the loaves yet. Sit down. Remember, lots and lots of people. Lots and lots of people, they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Imagine sitting down on the 50 and the hundred. Ooh, wonder what's going to happen. What are they going to feed us? This is going to be really great. And you're the disciples saying, sit down here in the 50. Oh my goodness gracious. What are we going to do? Y'all, y'all, y'all go over here in a hundred. Mommy, I'm hungry. I've been here all day. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, my blood sugar is getting low. I mean, they should, they probably didn't know about blood sugar back then. But the point is all of the expectations, all the expectations of these people is now set on them, these people who are telling them to do these things, and yet they still have no provision in their hand to be able to meet the need that they are expecting to be met by them. This has got to feel really, really hard for the people. It's got to feel really hard for the disciples. So maybe if Jesus is telling you to do something like this, maybe he's preparing seriously, seriously to do something impossible. Maybe he is aligning you there, not for your glory, that you might be hidden, that the name of Jesus and his provision might be lifted up, and that the ultimate provision of the cross of Jesus Christ would be lifted up in the lives of the people. And you said, I can't, but he said, because you've let me, now I have done something to bring glory to my name, the name of Jesus. So Jesus takes the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, Broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. What did that look like? What did it look like? Did he just give a loaf to the disciple and the disciple breaks it and it keeps reproducing? It's like, whoa, it's a new loaf again. What did it look like? We don't know. But what we do know is it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. These men who were tired, who had nothing, and who said, Jesus, I can't. At least they went to the right person. At least they didn't just walk away and say, I'm going to go take a nap. Forget this. I'm stepping away. Because they knew what the cost of discipleship was. They knew they needed to stay with their teacher. 
They needed to walk with him no matter where he went, even when it was hard. So we've got to give him, those 12 disciples, that credit. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. I'm just a construction guy. I don't teach tons of Bible studies. I don't do these things. And yet God is able to take Jesus in your life and to feed all of those co-workers around you with the gospel, with the truth, with everything that they need. He's able to satisfy the longing of their hearts and their souls. When you go to LSU and there's this Chinese student who speaks English and you're like, man, they've been programmed. All this is going through your mind. You're like, oh, are they even going to take this? Are they going to like me? What are they going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm some peerless from the West? They've been taught communism and then they get to you and they say oh wow thank you so much or whenever you go to the bcm and this muslims there from this other country and, and you're thinking to yourself oh I'm, I'm not i'm not prepared i went through the bridges course and i know a little bit but my goodness what are you supposed to do and then he comes to you and he says i want to know the bible i want to know about jesus i want to be part of your family for the next year or two years my life is open but you didn't know until you actually went in faith to say, hi, my name's Andrew. Or, hey, I see you want a, a partner here and um, I'm willing to open up my home to you, even though it's inconvenient. What if he gets saved and goes back home? What if he starts a church? What if 10,000 people get saved under these people? I mean, this has real repercussions. Whenever the pebble is dropped into the pond, the edge of that is touched even though it happened over here and it was so small, but the ripple effect continues. Even whenever you've walked away, the water is still disturbed. It's still disturbed. They all ate and they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and the fish. And I'm not one to, I'm just, it's not my style to try to like, you know, spiritualize that this means this in the Bible. But if I could say it meant anything and I could do that, I, I would say they were left over with broken pieces and fish. Not only... Did they serve, but they were left over with something with themselves. And I am always filled with joy. I'm always filled with joy. After I have done something that I knew was impossible to do, I get this return to me. And I get it the most whenever it is inconvenient. I get it the most when it's outside of my language or cultural or racial barrier. And you step through and you go to serve Jesus and you felt like you had nothing. And then he stepped in and did it. And then he leaves you with his deposit afterwards. And you're like, man, that is awesome. This is awesome. And serving Jesus really is awesome. 5,000 people ate. 5,000 people ate. It's amazing. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at what you lack. Just say, I will do it because you are worthy, Jesus. I will do it because Jesus asked me to do it. I will do it because Jesus deserves the glory. I will do it because Jesus laid down his life on Calvary. And the cost of being his disciple is to obey. Even when it's expensive, tiring, and is a ministry that you never asked for. And no one around you is asking for. Did Jesus ask you to do it? Then we need to do it. However small however big, however spiritual, however practical, whatever it is that he is telling you to do. And that demands that we walk with him. It demands that we hear from him. So quit looking at your hopes and dreams. Quit looking at your own desires, your personality. 
What do you feel ill-equipped to do? What do you already know that the Holy Spirit's possibly already brought up in your heart right now to do? I would challenge you to write it down, take out your phone, put it in a note. Open yourselves up to other believers. Is this God? You know, or, or maybe they say, you know what, that's awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you. What's your next step? What are you going to do? What is Jesus telling you to do right now? I'm going to help you to do that. Or I'm going to pray with you. Tell me how that goes. You're going to go have lunch with that coworker, praying for you right now. Praying for you right now afterwards. How did it go? How did it go? I felt so weak. I felt like I missed it. I felt like I blew it. And that's whenever we really need help. Because the enemy is going to whole time say you can't do it. And then after you do, he's going to tell you you did it really, really poorly. And he's going to condemn you. And he's going to say you messed it up. They're worse off now than whenever you spoke to them. You confused them. You did this to them. You are worthless. You are nothing. And then you never want to do it again. And then sometimes you might listen to the person and say, well, I told them this and I told them a testimony and they didn't seem 100% open to this, so I did this. And then you sit back and you say, that's perfect. You follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That was amazing. Because then what we're doing is we're priming one another, encouraging one another to listen to his voice and obey again. If y'all want to come up and play, I don't know how to end this 100%. I just want to encourage you. I don't want it to be... A pep talk, but I do want it to be an encouragement. I pray that we're challenged. I pray that we're convicted. I pray that we step outside of ourselves. We hear his voice. And I pray that he alone will receive the glory. I pray that we won't get big heads and be like, I'm now this person because I did this one thing. I hope you feel excited. I hope that, that we can have those loaves and fishes, as it were, of joy and gratefulness and love and worship and adoration for Jesus. Whenever we're done, like, this was impossible. You worthy are you, Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord, worthy are you because that is what he's after anyway. That's what he's after anyway is his worship, is his love and us to live out in worship, not just while we're here singing it, but living it and pouring out the incense of praise the whole time, every single day for the long run. The provision occurs as we obey. That's what my brother was saying Earlier in the 9 a.m. service, Evan, Pyle, not necessarily before, but as we step into it. It's about his compassions, his desires, and uh, I want to live this way. I want to see the glory of God. I don't want to just confess it and read missionary biographies. I want to live one. I want to live one. And you know, they're not always exciting every single moment. It's not always fire and glory. Sometimes it's guts and blood and continuing and obeying Jesus. And you say, I don't even know if you're doing anything through this or if it's even worth it. But because I love you, I'm going to obey you. Then whenever you look back after 10 years, that psalm comes to your heart. Those that sow in tears are going to look back. They sowed in tears all the way along. And maybe even their very tears and their prayers watered the seeds that they laid in that ground and behind them is a harvest that they will never take credit for but jesus will get all the glory for thank you jesus oh thank you jesus lord we ask you to move today we ask you to speak today i ask for you holy spirit to please poke in the areas of our hearts and our lives that we really don't want you to, the places where we have built stone walls around and we said, I will never do that. I failed and I'm never going back. That you would just destroy those walls 
and that we would see the face of the one that we love as you beckon us out and you take our hands. I pray that you would receive glory. I pray that you would apply this every way you want to in the workplace, stay-at-home moms who feel like they're failing, parents who feel like they're failing with their children, those who have gone astray those that have rebelled, those that wonder what to do in the workplace, in the church place, everywhere. Those who have desperate hearts, Lord God, I pray that you would just feed them with yourself today, that we would know you and love you in a real way. Please stay for this time. We're going to have two baptisms after we respond to the Lord. We don't want to rush this. This is exciting. That's obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And if you've not been water baptized and you say that's not my personality or I'm afraid, then I'll be so bold to tell you that he is also telling you, you need to be water baptized and you need to openly confess, I belong to this Jesus. I belong to him and I'm not afraid. You might be afraid, but Jesus is telling you, you need to be, you need to be. How can I trust you with more whenever this is the first and you've not even done that? That's not to discourage you. I want to provoke you to love and to good works. We give ourselves to you, Lord, right now. Y'all play and we're going to worship the Lord.